Good morning, and welcome to Simply Economics. It's Thursday, February 15th. On today's show, True North Copper Mining confirms positive economics for the Cloncurry Copper Project, and Americans are feeling better about the economy. Plus, Cisco announces job cuts and revenue forecasts slash amid economic challenges. This coverage and more, up next. I'm David, and you're listening to Simply Economics. We start off with an update from the mining industry. Amark Resources Limited has announced the commencement of an extensive 2024 drill program at its 100% owned Duke Copper Gold District in central British Columbia. The $10 million program will be funded by Boladen, which is earning in at Duke. Here to discuss this further is Bella, a correspondent for Simply Economics. Can you tell us more about this drill program and its significance? Certainly, David. The Duke District is located in the Babine Porphyry QA region, which is one of the most mineralized porphyry belts in BC. The drill program aims to build upon last year's positive drilling at the Duke deposit and the surrounding Duke deposit target. A second phase of drilling is planned for the summer to test a number of deposit targets across the district. What were the results of the previous drilling and how does this inform the upcoming program? The 2022-2023 drilling successfully expanded the Duke Deposit Porphyry CUMO AGAU system laterally to a footprint of 650 meters north-south by 800 meter east-west and to a depth of at least 600 meters. The results highlighted the potential for further expansion of the Duke Deposit and for the delineation of zones of higher grade within it. Encouraging intercepts from initial, widely spaced drilling in the robust 4.7 kilometer induced polarization chargeability anomaly that surrounds the Duke deposit suggests additional discovery potential. Can you tell us more about the Duke district and its location? The Duke district is located 80 kilometers northeast of Smithers within the Babine region. It hosts the former Bell and Granisil QA mines that were operated by Noranda mines and the advanced stage Morrison QA deposit there is significant potential for the discovery of new large porphyry CU deposits. Infrastructure servicing the former mines and the very active forestry and exploration industries is nearby. Much of the Duke District is road accessible. And what about the funding for this program? In November 2022, Amark entered into a mineral property earn-in agreement with Bolladen Mineral Canada Litted. Under the terms of the agreement, Bolladen has a two-staged option to earn up to a 70% interest in the Duke District by funding $90 million exploration and development expenditures. A $10 million program was completed in 2022-2023. Could you tell us a bit more about Amark Resources and their other projects? Amark is a mineral exploration and development company focused on developing a new generation of long-life, high-value porphyry CUAO mines in BC. They are advancing their 100% owned Ike, Duke, and Joy Porphyry Uau districts located in different prolific porphyry regions of Southern, Central, and Northern BC. Each district represents significant potential for the development of multiple and important scale porphyry Uau deposits. Each of the three districts is located in proximity to industrial infrastructure. Thanks for your insights, Bella. Now shifting gears to another economic topic, the American economy has been experiencing a paradox for quite some time now. 
Despite strong economic indicators, the mood among Americans has been rather gloomy, a phenomenon that's been dubbed the vibe session. However, it appears that this trend is changing, with optimism making a comeback. Here to discuss this further is Celeste, a correspondent for Simply Economics. Can you tell us more about this shift in sentiment? Certainly, David. For a while, there's been a noticeable gap between the data showing a strong economy and the rather pessimistic mood among consumers. But recent developments suggest this gap is closing. The S&P 500 recently closed above 5,000 for the first time. Unemployment has stayed below 4% for 24 months. And annual inflation fell to 3.1% in January. These are all positive indicators. That's quite a shift. What's driving this change in mood? There are a few factors at play. Over the past year, inflation has been decelerating, even while jobs continued to grow. This has likely contributed to the improved sentiment. The University of Michigan's Consumer Sentiment Index, which hit a record low in mid-2022, has climbed 29% since November. That's the largest two-month rise in more than 30 years. It seems that the perception gaps don't last forever. And what role does trust and optimism play in an economy's health? Trust and optimism are crucial for an economy's health. When the numbers and sentiment agree that times are good, more growth is almost always assured. Consumers usually pull back their spending when they feel uncertain or pessimistic. Today, while risks remain, economists say the threat of recession really has receded. And the more trust consumers have in good times, the more likely those good times will continue. But why didn't the vibe session lead to a recession? That's a good question. Plunging consumer confidence has accurately predicted six of the last six U.S. recessions. This time, however, consumers kept spending despite their dour outlook, which kept the economy humming. Many economists suspect that the shock of the COVID-19 pandemic scrambled the picture, serving as a mental weight on the national psyche that somehow did not affect American pocketbooks. What could potentially upset this new optimism? There are several factors that could upset the new optimism. Some analysts worry that inflation could prove more intractable than expected. The layoffs now piling up in the technology sector could spread. Global issues, including a slower Chinese economy or a wider Middle East conflict, could tug against growth. However, for the moment, pay hikes are again outpacing inflation, which means Americans have more money to spend despite high prices. Thanks for joining us, Celeste. In other economic news, Cisco Systems, the networking equipment giant, has announced plans to cut more than 4,000 jobs, equivalent to 5% of its global workforce. This decision comes as the company adjusts to a challenging economic landscape that has prompted numerous layoffs across the tech sector this year. Here to discuss this further is James, a correspondent for Simply Economics. Can you tell us more about this decision and its implications? Indeed, David. The tech industry has been facing economic challenges, and Cisco's decision to cut jobs is a response to these difficulties. Following the announcement, Cisco's shares experienced a decline of over 5% in extended trading. The company also revised its annual revenue target, lowering it to a range between 51.5 billion and 52.5 billion, down from the previously projected 53.8 billion to 55 billion. What factors are contributing to these economic challenges for Cisco? Cisco CEO Charles Robbins pointed to weak demand from telco and cable service provider customers. 
The telecom industry's spending constraints have been a contributing factor to the subdued demand for Cisco's products. Analysts anticipate continued pressure on the demand for networking gear as clients in the telecom sector prioritize reducing excess inventory. And how does Cisco plan to navigate these challenges? Despite the current challenges, Cisco is strategically positioning itself for growth by focusing on artificial intelligence and forming partnerships. For instance, CEO Robbins highlighted a collaboration with NVIDIA, where the latter agreed to use Cisco's Ethernet alongside its own technology, widely utilized in data centers and AI applications. This move aims to bolster Cisco's growth prospects amid a shifting market landscape. What about the financial implications of these job cuts? The job cuts will result in an $800 million charge before tax, covering severance and other related costs. The majority of these charges are expected to be recognized in the first half of fiscal 2025. Despite these challenges, Cisco reported an adjusted profit of 87 cents per share and revenue of $12.79 billion in the second quarter, surpassing LSEG estimates. Thanks for that update, James. Now, let's shift our focus to a new report by Boston Indicators and the Immigration Research Initiative that highlights the significant economic contributions of immigrants to the greater Boston region. The report reveals that immigrants contribute approximately $103 billion, or 21%, to the regional GDP annually. Here to delve deeper into this report is our correspondent, Abby. Can you tell us more about the findings of this report? Certainly, David. The report not only highlights the economic contributions of immigrants, but also sheds light on the changing demographics among immigrant groups. For instance, it found that 58% of all the country's immigrants from Cape Verde live in Boston, as well as 12% of all Brazilian immigrants and 9% of all Irish immigrants. This is a stark contrast from three decades ago when most of Boston's immigrants were from Europe. That's quite a shift. What does the report say about the economic roles of these immigrants? The report challenges the deeply inaccurate view that immigrant workers are bad for the economy. It found that 61% of immigrants work in middle or upper wage jobs. While some immigrants work low wage jobs, they are responsible for essential functions that help keep the local economy running. The report also suggests that immigrants have steady economic mobility with incomes increasing substantially over generations. And what about the demographic shifts among immigrants coming to Boston? The report found that the demographic of immigrants coming to Boston has shifted over the years. In 1990, six of the top 10 countries of origin for Boston's immigrants were European. But in 2021, all 10 top countries were Latin American or Asian. Brazil was the top country of origin for immigrants coming to Boston in 2022, with three times more immigrants than the second highest country of origin, Haiti. What about the recent increase in immigrant arrivals in the Boston region? The report does not include data from 2023, when the Boston region saw a substantial increase in immigrant arrivals. Researchers estimate that there were about 3,500 immigrant families living in the shelter system as of January 2024, largely due to a lack of readily available work permits. However, researchers emphasize the long-term benefits of immigrants in the region. The report also mentions the high levels of education among Boston's immigrants. Can you elaborate on that? 
Yes, almost one in four immigrants in the metropolitan Boston area have a graduate or professional degree. This is a sign that they came to Boston specifically to bring their skills to the workforce. However, the report also found that an immigrant's success in America can often depend on their gender and race. White and Asian and Pacific Islander immigrants are far more likely to be in the middle and upper wage group than Black and Latino immigrants. Women earn less than men in each racial category. What do researchers hope for the future of Boston's relationship with its immigrant communities? Researchers hope that Boston will combat these inequities and continue to showcase the positive economic relationship the city has with its immigrant communities. They believe that with appropriate resources, the region can remain a place where immigrants can succeed. That was Simply Economics reporter Abby. Thanks for the insights. And with that, we wrap up our stories for today. Thanks for listening to Simply Economics. We'll see you back here tomorrow.